0: Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. Uh, this is Duke Rivard, Executive Director of the Soma Family of Churches and Saturate, alongside my co-host, Jeff Vanderstel. And today we have two really special guests from the Soma Family of Churches. Uh, we've got Chris Gonzalez from Phoenix, Arizona, Timpe, uh, and Paul Dean from Issaquah, Washington. Uh, welcome, Jeff, Chris, Paul. Good to be here.
1: Good to be here. Thanks. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Just so you guys know a little bit about each guy, Chris Gonzalez um, is a pastor in, in Arizona, started uh, Missio Day, he does a lot with uh, leadership development at the Missional Training Center with Mike Goheen, does church-based theological education, as a faithful father, husband, disciple maker, and friend. Um, one thing I've, I've said about Chris, I'll say here, is that you can learn a lot about a guy by the, the quality and longevity of his friendships. Uh, Chris has a really long and beautiful friendship with Kevin Platt, his co-pastor, they're really a model, of healthy plurality of friendship, shared leadership, uh, so yeah, Chris, just really, really thankful for you and your ministry. Uh, Paul is uh, also a pastor and planner, planted Somi Eastside in Issaquah, Washington several years ago, he has a PhD in history, uh, He's won the public speaking competitions with Toastmasters International Got a great dry sense of humor. I hope hope we pick up on uh, in the podcast. And also like Chris has done a lot with theological, uh, church-based theological education with Antioch school and training up a lot of elders and church planners. Also a great uh, friend and and father and husband. So uh, just really, really thankful for you guys. Um, The reason we're we're together today and the topic for today is really uh, 10 lessons after 10 years of leading in the Soma family of churches. Uh, So last month, about mid-month uh this we, we celebrate our 10th uh year anniversary uh, soma the soma family if you don't know the history formed after soma 201 training in tacoma washington at soma tacoma and we formed a working board and we began to give some shape to a family that would get after um, a vision for gospel saturation and planting churches that would plant churches and and would form city hubs that would multiply disciples in cities and and so we really wanna stop at this 10 year mark and, and just talk about 10 lessons we've learned. Um, and, and it's really a symmetrical marker. 2020 um, is, is really the time we can do that and look back. And so, guys, without any kind of further introduction, I'd love to just jump right into the 10. Um, and we can frame this in different ways. One might be, uh, what did you believe 10 years ago that you believe in even more now? So you've deepened your conviction. What have what you maybe been surprised by? And, and maybe what's something that you emphasize now uh, that, that you didn't use to emphasize or talk a whole lot about. And so that'll be the frame and we'll just, we'll just kind of dive right in. Uh, so let's start with number one. Uh, the first thing that we I think we've discovered, the thing that we, uh, we really emphasize as a huge lesson is uh, the family identity. Uh, that SOMA has emphasized that for 10 years and it seems like that's just right there center set of what we're all about uh, here now 10 years later. Um, and so we're we're really convinced, you know, that's what the, the scriptures teach. It's the most dominant metaphor for the church. Two hundred and seventy seven references in Paul's thirteen letters that are familial in nature. Um, it's also interesting to even now see some of the brain brain science catching up to to that, and how much how important. Uh, we're learning about attachment, about being deeply connected in a loving community is for even spiritual formation, sanctification. So, uh, yeah, guys, maybe you could you could speak to that as well. Just what you've seen about kind of our emphasis on the gospel identity of, of the church's family.
1: That was something that struck me right away, I, I, th- I think, about SOMA. when When I went to SOMA school— I had been studying in depth with a, with a future pastor about, we were going through the New Testament, looking for different principles, and this idea of of brethren, of brothers and sisters, of family, of love one another was certainly everywhere as we were studying it. But coming from a more traditional church background, the how do we do this was so much uh, was, was in the front of my mind. So going to Soma school and hearing about missional communities and seeing it practiced and seeing a, a model, something that, that had clear steps and the beauty of it has, has always, uh, well, since the, since the very beginning of my time in Soma has been emphasized and I'm so grateful for it. I think that is, uh, to me, a huge lesson from being
2: part of this family. I was just going to add to it, just personal. I mean, we planted the church. My kids were five, three, and one, and planted the church and planted our missional community. And just my kids, they're all teenagers now, and they've never. I mean, on one hand, like they lack some things, and that they've never had a like a traditional youth group that type of thing. But uh, but I'm just like I, I've been reflecting on it even over this season of I wouldn't trade what they've gotten in growing up with real just dis, like disciples grown-up disciples around them who really are family, where they, the way I said to my kids, I'm like, hey, you're teenagers now. And so if not already, at some point, you know, me and Leslie, we're going to, you're going to think we're complete idiots. So who are people that you know, love you and love Jesus? And they all had, they all had like all these names they're just rattling off. And they're like people that have like really been in their lives. And I know those people love Jesus and they know that. And I know they love my kids because they've been around them.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I don't know if you guys follow Dr. Anthony Bradley on Twitter, but he's always talking about kind of the folly of some of our youth ministry and and how much really kids need five mature adults. You know, usually of the same sex in their life, and a an MC <laughs> and a family identity being lived out is is a really profound sort of version of that. And we can be, I think, hopeful uh, for kids and discipleship when when families being realized in our community. So that's yeah, that's huge. Um, well, let's move on to the next one, uh, Jeff. This was this was one that was um, that you brought, which I think is really helpful. Why don't you give us number two?
3: Yeah, I mean, it really does play off from what Chris just said in the sense that discipleship requires significant relationships. Uh, programs don't make disciple uh, people do, and you have to actually be close enough, consistently, long enough to actually know whether or not you're actually making a disciple that looks like Jesus and. Uh, I need people in my life to know me long enough to see where I'm emotionally unhealthy, uh, where they can pay attention to how I treat my wife and my kids. I mean, you just do not make Jesus-like disciples in a very short program time. It really requires what Chris just said, and that is consistent time together with people that really know you, where you can be not only seen but vulnerable in that transparency.
0: Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, so discipleship requires significant relationships, requires life on life, life and community, life on mission together. Uh, that's that's huge. Um, yeah, Eugene Peterson said, I don't know if you guys ever read the letter that he wrote to the pastor in the back of his autobiography, the pastor, but he, he said size was the great depersonalizer and that essentially anytime you take another strata out towards less personal that you dilute discipleship in a profound way that really can't. Can't be recovered from. So, yeah, we just found that to be true. Chris, uh, Paul, anything to add on that?
1: The only thing that comes to mind is just the the people that at Soma East Side that say how beautiful it is that my pastor knows my name, and there is something about making about that personal connection that is just so, so biblical, so
2: true. And uh, that's all I got. Yeah, coming off that, Paul, I would I would say we always, in our staff meetings, where it was from when we were first meeting, Kevin and I would have our staff meetings at his kitchen table, and he had a dry erase board up on the wall. We always have a dry erase board around, it seems like. And so something we'll do at our staff meetings, our elder meetings, pretty regularly, is just write up on the board all the MCs and all the people in them and to be able to pray for them, and there's just something, there's been something to that kind of in a, in a leadership respect of, like we actually know the like know the people, know who they are, and and to shepherd to actually shepherd people, like you need to know you need to know them, you need to know who they are, and be able to pray for them, and so that's always been a thing for us. Like, can we, and and then we would bring like new people in, new interns in, or whatever like want to get them to where they can they can lead that session of like, okay, stand up at the boards. Let's start writing through who are all the people, who are their kids, what are they dealing with? And it requires that kind of relationship to be able to lead.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Chris, why don't you why don't you transition us into number three?
2: Yeah, I think um, we talk a lot at Missio about and in the search network here in Phoenix around story. And we do in, in SOMA as well. But one thing I think a lesson we've learned is a lot of times we can, from the beginning with someone, we, we always talk about story being story formed, but I think sometimes we can think about this the story of God, the story of the Bible, like it's a tool that we use to disciple people. So it's a, the, the illustration that always works in my mind, like it's an app, like there's lots of apps on my phone and it's an app I can go to to, to disciple people, to help people think through something but to realize like the story of God, God's story from creation to new creation isn't an app. It's the operating system or it's the iPhone itself. Like it is the operating system on which everything else runs. And so then that's what, I mean, this is getting uh, empty out a whole other can of worms, but it's like when you start seeing that and start thinking more through like the story formed lens rather than more of like a platonic um, kind of spiritual in uh, physical world and spirit kind of divide. When you start thinking that way, you're able to hold a lot more things in tension that you have to hold to be able to live out missional community life. And so that'd be a huge lesson that we've learned is this, the the idea of being story formed. It's gotta be the operating system, not just an app that you use.
0: That's so good, Chris. Cause yeah, we can't think of it as like a sermon series, right? That we did this one time versus sort of the frame that everything Finds its kind of orientation within. I I know you spent a lot of time with Mike Goheen. Uh, I remember maybe a year or two ago reading his summary of Newbegin's theology. But one of the one of the quotes that really struck me was Newbegin saying essentially, if a group of disciples don't come to believe that the story of God is their story, like the dominant storyline of their life, they'll never actually live as a community that makes disciples in all of life. It just won't happen. You know, it'll always be a small subplot of their life. They may occasionally dabble in discipleship, but it won't be how they see everything. Um, and so what you're saying is, yeah, it's just so, so core uh, that, yeah, the story of God has to be our story, uh, our windshield. Like we look at everything else through it. Um, you know, I'm mixing metaphors here, but our operating system. I mean, um, yeah, I, I believe that. I think that is that is so, so critical. Uh, Paul, why don't you give us number four? Uh, well, to me, this is the
1: this is the COVID lesson, and in, in many ways, or, or the the lesson that COVID has emphasized the most, and that is that ministry is a lot harder than I imagined that it would be when I started, and for different reasons. So there is a crushing weight of accumulated disappointments that come from ministry, and it's you know it's one at a time. And some of them are small, but you get 10 years in or 20-plus years in where I'm at in total, and there's a there's a lot of disappointments. And I suppose that we should have seen them coming. We see it in Paul's writings. I see Paul in Second Timothy writing to his—it you know, sounds like his last friend. He's like, Timothy, you know, everybody in the province has deserted me. But I see planters, and maybe a planter is listening to this right now, and they're they're in those early stages where you're thinking about all of the beautiful things that you want to do. All the people you want to see come to faith, all the disciples you'd like to see made. Maybe you're even thinking about regional, about your church becoming a regional force for good. Or some of you are thinking about these huge ideas, how you'd love to have a national platform. And and then, sometime in ministry, you just you realize, you know, I'm having a hard time just staffing the nursery on on Sunday, and it just things people fall away, people desert you, and maybe you realize that you're weaker than you thought you were. And I think in those moments, and to me, as I'm meditating on on what what this lock what these lockdowns feel like, I'm just remembering that the kingdom that we are part of is already, but it's also not yet. And that we need to embrace that that kingdom mentality. of It's not yet. And there are going to be disappointments. And we also have to embrace our humanity, that we are not people's saviors. We are not our city's savior. And we need to be pointing to Jesus in the midst of these personal disappointments.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that is so good, Paul. Yeah, I remember, gosh, a couple years ago, uh, we were at a faith and work summit in Phoenix that Chris set up and Steve Garber with, with us. And he he asked some really profound questions. One of them was, can you both know the world and love the world? You know, can you both, and, and as you're talking, I'm thinking, can you both really know what ministry is all about and still endure and continue in it faithfully, you know? And then his, his kind of second profound question was, you know, will we keep at the things that matter over time, you know, in light of all that kind of fully eyes wide open, aware of all of it still continue in it. And uh, brother, I'm just encouraged that you're, you're an example of somebody who has done that, you know, is looking at all the cost of it, the good and the bad and continuing faithfully. So yeah, that's huge. Uh, Jeff, why don't you go number five?
2: Hold on. If there are any like young aspiring church planners, pastors going to do this, who just like i just want to reiterate and you guys can delete this out later maybe and post production whatever it is (laughs) i'm just saying what people said about like you start out and you're gonna like we're gonna saturate the region like our church i as a leader i'm gonna saturate the region and our city and whatever it is and now you you're working to staff your children's your nursery dude just hold that that is so true and it's (laughs) so humbling and it's really and it's And you you don't even understand it right now, but once you get there and you realize what Paul just said, it will like it'll be really you'll be in a really good spot. It's humbling and it's a really good spot.
1: And if you don't like my summary of it, just get on YouTube and and type in Matt Foley, and
0: uh... (laughs) that's awesome. If you don't
1: get that joke, I'm not going to
0: explain it to you. (laughs) You just have to YouTube it. Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. (laughs) Love it. Yeah, Jeff, you want to take number five?
3: Yeah, the the thing for me is, I think um, I, I I discovered this in the last six years in my present post, and that is that I assumed spiritual formation. Uh, I'll say it this way: when I started Soma Tacoma, uh, you know, we, it was a small group of people, twenty people, and um, we knew everybody, and so we we knew people could pray or not pray, or read their Bible or not read their Bible, or. Uh, share their faith or whatever it may be, anything of any of the spiritual practices. And so we built on that. And then they built in, that into other people that they discipled. Well, then I come here and restart a church, replant a church here in Bellevue. And, uh, you know, we had five, six hundred people to start with. And I just assumed they had all of that already in place, that they knew how to be with Jesus, that they knew how to commune with the Holy Spirit, that they knew how to be directed in prayer and also how to prayerfully move into mission. but we came to find out that we were training them in how to do the stuff of mission without the presence and power of Jesus, without the motivation of the gospel and the real presence of God's love in their life through his spirit. And so uh, I'm not saying they weren't Christians. They just weren't formed. And, um, and so we had to stop and, and re- revisit the basics again how do we pray? How do we read the Bible? How do we have silence and solitude? How do we make space for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide? And so we're doing that now. And I'm thankful that God is gracious to show us that, but it is a huge assumption I made. And we as leaders made, and I, I would have bet a lot of church leadership makes that assumption that people are further along than they actually are. But the evidence will be in the their love for, for God, love for one another, love for the lost, and their ability to actually go and make a disciple that looks like Jesus. So um, yeah, that was a big, big miss for me. Yeah.
0: No, that is so huge. Yeah. I, I really like Dallas Willard's definition of discipleship, like being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what he's done. But I I agree. I think so. so much of my early ministry was more about be like Jesus and do what he did. And it wasn't It just assumed too much. Yeah, what you said, people know how to be with Jesus and really deeply commune. And even at times, if we're honest, leaders don't always know how to do that. You know, and, and leaders, we have to repent of ways we've been activists and not not spiritually dependent. Um, I, I remember a mentor, John Hanna, he's a church historian, um, who said, you know, men don't really pray till they're 40. You know, and and he's like, women do. Women pray earlier, but you know, men don't really pray till they're forty. And it's I think there's something in a young church plan or something a young leader that's impressed with his own ability, his confidence. He's ready to go get after it. And you you really have to get some of the um, the wind knocked out of you uh, to even get to the place where where Paul was in his last his last point uh, and realize, okay, I really do need to be with Jesus all of the productivity is going to come out of the communion and out of deep dependence on him and in a, a deep community relationship. So yeah, that, that's huge.
3: Yeah. An older, man, an older man, when I was planting Soma Tacoma, I, you know, I was in my mid thirties, an older man in our leadership said, at one point he said, I, I just want to make sure you all understand that actually prayer is the heavy lifting. Like if you, if you want to, if you want to see the hand of God move, you pray. If you want to just do the work that you could pull off, then don't pray. But if you want to see God move and God work, then remember prayer is the heavy lifting. It is what gets the best work done. Yeah, that is so good.
0: Yeah,
1: amen. I I think, I think what Jeff said both with that prayer should be specially noted. I think I think anyone that has been in ministry for any long period of time would say it's the it's the answer to prayer that that really is the lasting legacy of of what I'm doing. It's in and probably in the in the beautiful things and the encouraging things, not the things that I accomplished, but the ones that I saw God do after after prayer. So I I couldn't emphasize that enough. As well as saying that you could even expand Jeff's point about assumptions that assumptions kill you. Period. That uh, that spiritual formation and all sorts of areas in church that those assumptions just kill you, whereas intentionality is so helpful long term.
0: Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Number six, Chris, you want to take that one?
2: Yeah. I just said you can be, you can have pew sitters in any ecclesiology. I think when we started, we would draw up on the board uh, a church building and say, Hey, this, this is a traditional church. You've got big front doors. You're trying to get people in on Sunday to a building uh, in a 70 minute service. And if you can do that, then that's great. And then, but you don't just want pew sitters. So you have people that, you know, you want people in other things, in small groups and ministries and all these different things. And uh, But we, you end up still with a lot of pew sitters and people don't filter down. And so we're like, this is what we're going to do. We're doing missional communities. They're going to function like house churches. There's no pews in my living room. And so you're not going to have pew sitters. Everybody's going to be involved in the life of the, of the ministry and doing it and on mission and being discipled. And uh, it's, a great, it's a great vision. And I'm still doing it. And I still believe in it like crazy. And I think it is, a, obviously. But there's a reality. The spirit of consumerism in our culture is freaking strong and our methods and our church structure or whatever it is like that ain't it ain't enough by itself you need prayer you need the story you need life on life discipleship all the things we just said like you need those things or else people sure as heck they can still be in a missional community and still be very consumeristic and still be essentially not really engaging in a life of discipleship
3: Chris, I want to just emphasize that as well. I, I found that sometimes the missional community approach can almost attract a different kind of consumer because they they go, Oh, wow. I'm going to, it's kind of like cheers. If any of you guys are old enough to remember that, that show, you know, everyone <laughs> knows my name? You know, it's like, so I'm going to be in a place where everybody knows me and everybody loves me and everybody cares about me and everything is about me. And they're not saying that, but they're, they're attracted to that. And so then they come in and they bring that same mentality that, that you can bring to any size church. And that is, man, this is all about what I love, the style of music I prefer, the preaching that tickles my ears. And it's like, it doesn't matter the model. That that kind of spirit can enter into any approach to being the church.
0: Mm, that's huge. Yeah. I hear you guys saying like, we can find faithful saints perhaps in any model. We can find unfaithful saints in any model that it really is going to come down to the, those disciples, how they listen and obey. How are they walking with Jesus? How are they looking outward and loving neighbor and making disciples and doing the work that Jesus calls them to. Um, But that, yeah, that's a helpful corrective to not imagine that somehow if we we organize our ecclesiology rightly, or we have the right philosophy of ministry, that somehow our people are going to be sort of immediately uh, further along than if we were organized another way. Uh, We're still dealing with with sheep. We're still dealing with messy people. We're messy. uh, We're imperfect. We're in process. uh, And that's going to be true uh, regardless of our ecclesiology. Uh, Paul, you want to jump into number seven? Sure.
1: Uh, Leadership development is key. I think this is true in parenting. I think that's what parenting is. I think this is true in in things like baseball, and it's most certainly true in making disciples uh, in our churches. I think we need to be asking ourselves the question, who am I discipling? And then this this follow-up question is, who are they discipling? Because making disciples is, uh, it's in many ways about scale. And it we've already touched on it, it's personal. So it, it can't be a mass production, it can't be assembly line. Uh, but if we're not doing leadership development, we are not making disciples. So it's absolutely key to the movement.
0: Yeah, that's, that's so huge. A few years back, there were some articles being written about you know, where have all the church planners gone, and there was speculation about what happened and, and how all the church planners got cleared out of the pipeline, and there's not a whole lot waiting. Uh, but we've, we've certainly seen that. We've experienced that. And I've talked to denominational leaders and church planning organization leaders, and they're all sort of identifying the same thing. Uh, and and like, what well, you're saying, Paul, the only way to actually correct that is to go back and do the hard work of developing people and instead of pluck people that are ready to go. And, and we've got some, you know, vision around that. I mean, Soma has a vision for 1428, which is like a real intentional development for 14 to 28 year olds to get them ready. Uh, We've seen a story. There's a guy, there's a a pastor in Latvia named Casper's who, who does, you know, draft camps with kids and younger kids. Uh, And they went from zero indigenous Latvian church planners to 25 uh, in seven years just because they started backing up and working with younger and younger leaders and training them longer. Um, and it wasn't that it wasn't miracle. It's just they did the long pipeline work, you know, and I, I just, I'm, I'm with you. I just think it. it's, nobody wants to do the un, unseen, slow, hard, uh, long-term, but really it's, it is the work uh, and it's so critical. So yeah, that, that's huge. Uh, Paul, maybe you or Jeff can too riff on when we, when we talk about leadership development, how does leader health factor into the movement as well, uh, as it relates to leaders and the long-term uh, health of a movement?
3: Well, yeah, I I would say we're we're watching all around the country right now as we see uh, narcissistic, codependent pastors uh, falling one after another, uh, and, and those are the only the ones we know, right? The popular or platform type uh, speakers, but we we are, I think, we are seeing an epidemic. Uh, in church, uh, leader unhealth and and I'll just speak for my own life. Like I've been uh, in counseling every week since February uh, this year, uh, just going after my own my own health because I began to become aware that. I needed to be much more attuned to my brokenness and the wounds that I've experienced and some of the, the sh- very toxic shame-based stuff that I grew up with in my church that I'd never really addressed. And whether I knew it or not and whether I knew the gospel uh, sufficiently or not, it still was shaping how I was leading and it was shaping how I was, I was treating and discipling people. And so I, I'm I'm absolutely convinced this may be one of the most important things we are going to have to address in our leadership development planning because if we just develop people who can speak, lead, plan, strategize but we don't get after their emotional health, we're just going to multiply narcissistic codependency throughout the church's discipleship strategies and that that is a huge huge problem.
1: Amen and it's going to go it's going to take our movement backwards. I think if if we don't if we don't lead in a healthy way, we're going to produce negative fruit. And all of us can think of example after example of, of how the soil is more difficult to till after a major leader falls. And at, and you take people that were open to the idea of the gospel that are now in many ways irrevocably hardened to the gospel. And when a when a leader falls, when there's... Scandal, uh, and whether it's a small church or a big church, you've just made the ground more difficult to to till and to sow and to see f- real fruit. So this is absolutely critical for us that we that every pastor has a mentor, that every pastor has a pastor. Uh, and I think Jeff's example of of talking about regular counseling is a beautiful model for the rest of us.
0: Yeah, so so huge. That's something we've definitely learned and some over the over the past ten years. We probably wouldn't have emphasized as much. We wouldn't have talked about as much. But now, try to spend a ton of time pastoring the pastors, looking for counselors, looking for spiritual direction, really attending to leader health as a as really an investment in our overall work. Yeah, you know, it's a strategic investment
3: because we but know Jesus it's, said, it's you know, so like- critical. Second Commandment: Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you don't take care of yourself, you're, you're, the kind of ways you're going to love others is going to be directly connected to the ways that you've probably done damage to your own soul or received damage. And so you, you will you will always treat others uh, in in such a way that comes out of the overflow of your heart, healthy or unhealthy. And so taking care of yourself mm. is imperative to actually obeying the commandments. That's
0: huge. Yeah, let's go uh, to number eight. Chris, you want to give that to us?
2: Yeah, missional communities are a great play to run. Uh, Families of missionary servants, get people in missional communities, lead a missional community, be a missional community. So they're a great play to run. Run the play, but don't idolize the play and be flexible. So I believe in this stuff as much more now than I did 12 years ago when we started. And I love it. And, but uh, it's easy to do the methodology thing and basically like, hey, this is the right way to do it. It's not, it's a play. And it's a way to be and make disciples. Uh, and then also be flexible. Be careful of like, I mean, if you're in our context of like, oh, well, we can't do a missional committee that way. Or like, we can't make that adjustment to it because that's not how Chris talks about it. Or that's not how Chris does it or Kevin or whoever. Or that's not, you know, that's not what Vanderstelt wrote in in his book in this. and this. And it's like, be flexible. There's They always need to be adjusted and and contextualized and, not, not so rigid, maybe. No.
0: Yeah, that's huge. And it is possible that,
2: that that Chris,
1: Jeff, Duke, and I all lead our missional communities a little bit different. Even in a, even in a movement that is uh, as focused as ours, that that based on your gifts, it's going to look question. a little bit different. Without question.
3: And even in different contexts, the way I led missional communities in Tacoma is very different uh, uh, now in how I'm trying to lead them on the east side of Seattle. So very different. Context is going to change a lot of things. Absolutely. Yeah, we've had to confess methodolatry in the Soma family of
0: just being overly rigid about methods at times. And I now have regular conversations with a guy. They'll be, hey, can I have a mission community that's 50 people that's going after some huge justice need in the city? And it's like, yes, absolutely. If you will have, was well, God, you know, is God calling you to that? And that's where He's leading you and that's where the need is. And that's the people that are mobilized. Awesome. Others will say, Hey, can I do like missional DNA groups, like in COVID, like we only have three people that can gather. Can we just focus on a couple other people and pray for them and like be on mission in really micro ways? It's like, yes, absolutely. So the, the big idea is uh, be and make disciples, obey King Jesus and his, his commission. Uh, the way you do that um, is, man, it's open to all kinds of innovation and creativity and following the spirit into what he's doing. Uh, so that's something we just want to say and say that, um, and there's, the mission hasn't changed. It'll never change. Um, some of the elements that we've emphasized that we feel are important, like life on life, life in community, life on mission, they're they're pretty universal. Uh, and yet the, the expression that that takes can be as diverse as the context or, or as Paul's saying, as diverse as the leadership uh, that that's leading them out. So uh, that's huge. Uh, how about number nine, Chris? Will you give us that?
2: Yeah, team is better, I think, for so many different reasons. And I, you can could- – take this so many different angles but i would just say this if you're going to uh if you're going to kind of call people to to live this missional community life to live in missional community if you're going to call people and train them and equip them and and encourage them and sustain it uh, i mean you're calling them in, in, into three things like to be formed by the gospel you're calling them into formation together and there is a spirit of humanism that says you don't need to be formed by the gospel we can do it on our own that is really strong in our culture and so that's going to war against that. You're going to call them into community and to live life on life together, to, to live life in community. Well, there's a spirit of individualism in our culture. It's a spirit of our age, of humanism, but also individualism. And then if you're calling people not just to be for their MC, not just to be for them, for themselves, a consumeristic thing, it's going to be for like for the life of the world, for the mission, for making disciples, for other people and having difficult people in the MC, that's going to wage a a war against consumerism, which is another idol of our culture. So you're literally like, as you're trying to lead an MC or lead a church of MCs, you're going against these three strong idols of our age: of consumerism, individualism, and humanism. And it's a spirit of the age. And people are going to think you're crazy, and people are going to react against that. And so, just super practical: if you can have multiple voices, like you can, you, you're going to have to be reminded that you're not crazy. So that was for me with me and Kevin planting together, rather than just us being solo, planting together and really being a a co-equal team. And now, uh, even now, Kevin's planted another church in Mesa. He leads that congregation. And uh, Charlie and Sarah and I are a leadership team where Charlie's full-time. Sarah and I are both part-time. And Charlie's leading it, but we still function as a team. It's slower. And, uh, but there's something powerful in having multiple voices, reminding ourselves that we're not crazy and p- continue to push against those spirits of the age, but also for other people that they're hearing stuff in, in like in stereo, is how Kevin and I always used to talk about it. So, and it's just better, it's better and more healthy going back up to the, uh, you know, the maturity of the leader that we were just talking about it uh the team dynamic uh it keeps you from being a lone ranger who's just out on your own and uh that's it seems like that's when a lot of people fall yeah
0: that is that is so huge chris i i i feel like i run up against it every month where i'm just convinced that god's ideas are better and one of his key ideas for the church is plurality of leadership you know and true plurality not faux plurality not the genius with a thousand helpers not You know, a lot of phony leaders alongside a really strong personality, but literal, true, authentic plurality uh, where guys are mutually submitted to one another, diversely gifted and doing the the work to humble themselves and and, and to come to consensus together, you know, Uh, like a good marriage. Right. I mean, you can drag a spouse into whatever you feel like you should do next, uh, or you can really work hard to get unified and go together. You know, uh, and I I just think the teams that do the hard work like you and Kevin have that really work and fight for unity and fight for diversity together are so much stronger than, um, you know, the dictator who gets to call the shots and go fast. Uh, So, yeah, that's huge. It's really good. Um, Yeah, let's go with number 10. So to close it out. um, Yeah, this is one that was really important for me as I reflected back over the, the past 10 years. I just believe, yeah, our greatest successes have been successes of faith, hope, and love. And our greatest failures have been failures of faith, hope, and love. So when you really see someone step out in faith, trust God in in powerful ways, in trials, or to plant a church in faith, or uh, that someone has hope in COVID, right? Mature hope uh, that God is at work and His kingdom's advancing against all kinds of setbacks and challenges. Uh, When someone has a success in love, or they truly... Uh, put someone else before themselves it's just it's beautiful every time because it resembles christ and then our greatest failures they're not primarily tactical they're not primarily strategic oh we went left when we should have went right it's when we we operated in fear you know it's when we operated in despair it's when we operated in self-preservation or just a a pride you know those are the those are the failures you look back on and go man that was the myth that was massively uh, devastating you know that was the thing that we would never want to do again uh, so, yeah, I just reminded the Christian virtues are God's scorecard, uh, that he cares about faith, hope, and love. First Corinthians says it, uh, you know, uh, First Timothy one five says the goal of our instruction is actually love. We'll, we'll know we're making disciples when uh, they're mature in love. We're mature in love. Um, so, yeah, I just
3: want to, yeah, remind us of that. Um, yeah, well, we're going to – we'll close it down. You know yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Dallas, Dallas Willard, when he defined uh, spiritual maturity, his definition was uh, that it's, it's defined by love of God, love of others, and most particularly love of the enemy. Uh, because uh, God demonstrated his love for us in this that while we were still sinners Christ died for us so if the the height of love is loving your enemy then the height of spiritual maturity is the love of your enemy and so I think that's what Paul's ultimate goal in his teaching was is the instruction of the goal of his instruction was always love because it does it looks like God and it looks like God uh, showing up to love his enemies who we were apart from Christ. And so I just want to emphasize that as well. Like that, that is at the end of the day, the goal. Mm.
1: And wouldn't that be beautiful to see a movement full of people that loved God, loved each other, and had missional communities full of former enemies. Amen.
0: Amen. Absolutely. No, that would be huge. I mean, even this year in the political year, if we had, if the church had better loved their political enemies, I think we'd have had a much stronger witness to the watching world. And I feel that might have been one of our biggest failures. Is people have really struggled to love their political enemy, the person on the other side with a different viewpoint, um, and it's it's devastating. Uh, so yeah, if we want to. We want to focus on enemy love. Uh, and I I, 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 preached on enemies before, in the, you know, in the sermon on the Mount. it's like, who's your enemy? I don't call anybody my enemy, but sometimes it's just that person you can't stand. <laughs> like whoever comes to mind when I say, who's that person you can't stand? Uh, that's, that's your enemy. And that's who you're called to love as a disciple of Jesus. And, uh, so, yeah, that's huge. Well, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with a summary. I'm just going to rattle back through them. So here were the top 10 lessons learned in, in, in 10 years of SOMA. I'm sure we could have gone a lot of different directions, but I think these are these are really good. So the first one was the family identity, that the church is family. That's so many pieces to that. Uh, that discipleship requires significant relationship, uh, that we're story formed. Uh, as Chris said, that's the operating system, not just an app. Uh, that ministry is harder, but for reasons we, we don't always understand when we start. Uh, Paul yeah, beautifully illustrated that. Uh, that we've probably assumed too much of spiritual formation is number five. Uh, that that you can be a pew sitter in any ecclesiology number six. Uh, number seven was leadership development matters. And even at the sub point of that was leader health really matters. And number eight, uh, we, we want to run the play. We want to believe in, you know, our ecclesiology and missiology, get after mission communities, get after making disciples. But but really flexible and innovative in a way that we follow the Spirit into our context. Uh, number nine was team is better. And number 10 was our greatest failures and successes are really connected to faith, hope, and love and who we're becoming as we walk with Jesus. So yeah, great episode, guys. Uh, thank you so much for, for being with us. I uh, really enjoyed the time. I continue to learn from you guys and your ministry and probably more than anything else, just your faithfulness over time. Uh, it's it's not so much it's one lesson it's just you guys are exemplars to me in the faith of of faithful pastors faithful brothers who love Jesus and continue imperfectly and in process and learning all the time to uh, keep your eyes on Jesus and His mission and uh, yeah, I just really really appreciate you for that um, yeah I want to bring your attention to uh, just an opportunity in uh, the saturate membership so. Uh, we're coming to year end, and it's a it's a season of Advent. And i uh, reminded that, you know, Wendell Berry has a quote where he says, when things got darker and darker and darker, and then Christ appeared. Uh, and we're in COVID. We're in a crazy year. Uh, things have been harder and, and more challenging than other years, and yet Christ has appeared. We, we have the hope of Advent. We have really the opportunity to worship Jesus this month. Uh, the statutory Membership has Advent guides and resources and tools there to help you uh, worship fully this, this season. Uh, so if you're interested in that, the Saturday Membership is free for the first five days, check it out, uh, see what you think. And I just hope and pray uh, that you guys experience, you know, a ton of fruit in, in worship and discipleship, even as you, you celebrate Jesus this season. Uh, but Chris, Jeff, Paul, uh, thank you guys for being on the, on the podcast and thanks for all your, your insight.
1: You're welcome. My Good privilege. It's
2: a pleasure. You guys.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Saturate listeners, I, I want to encourage you to also share what you're learning with us. So in social media or an email uh, to, you know, the Saturate uh, email, please tell us what you've learned over these years. And uh, we're, we're in a posture of, of always being learners, always learning and growing. We want to hear from you guys um, and, and continue to grow together as, as we make disciples in the everyday stuff of life. Thank you. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Justin Hugis. Saturate is committed to gospel saturation in North America and beyond until every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders discussing how Jesus is better, his church is more, and his mission is every day. Learn more and activate your Saturate membership at saturatetheworld.com.